Revelation chapter number one, or chapter two, sorry, Revelation chapter two. I knew we were in the book of Revelation, I knew that much tonight. Revelation chapter number two, and we just started three or four weeks ago our series here in the book of Revelation, and so we're really just getting going, and so we got a long ways to go, and if you remember last week, we looked at that Jesus came to John, and he told him, I want you to write down the things that you see. Not only do I want you to write down the things that you see, I want you to write a letter to these seven churches. And so Jesus had seven churches that he wanted these letters written to. And so we're going to start tonight by looking at the first church here in chapter number 2. So look at Revelation 2, verse number 1. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them that are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, I pray you'd bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. I pray that you'd meet with us and do a work in our lives and in our hearts. And as we look at this passage tonight, as we look at this church, I pray that you'd just help us see some thoughts and some things that will help us in our church tonight and help us in our lives individually tonight. We love you. We need you. We praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, one of the things I want you to realize as we dive into this tonight, as you look right there in verse number one, We know that, and as we looked at last week, that the Lord, that Jesus walks in the midst of the seven, the golden candlesticks are those seven churches. And the Lord walks in the midst of the church. And it's amazing as we go through and as we'll study this out, how the Lord knows everything about these churches. They can't hide anything from God. He knows how they, what they do. In fact, as we read a minute ago, he commends them about several things that this church in Ephesus does. But then he also says, hey, there's some things that are not right in your church. And you know, a convicting thought, and you know, we don't have the Lord walking in here tonight saying, hey, Victory Baptist Church, this is what you're doing good, this is what you're doing wrong, and this is what you need fixed. Now, God could. And I want you to remember tonight, you and I, we live this life, we can hide things from anyone we want. We can act like we're a great Christian, and we can be living like the devil all the time. And we can fool one another. You cannot fool God. Jesus knows the heart. He knows all of it. And I wonder tonight that if, if, we're, if Jesus were to walk in that back door and to come in here tonight, what he would say. What would need to be fixed? Well, this is the thing. The closest thing we have to that tonight are these seven letters written to these seven churches. And there are lots of people that have lots of different opinions about these seven churches. In Bible college, you learn a lot about this stuff, and they go on about a lot of different things. And I want you to know, people view these 
things differently when it comes to these churches, these letters. Some view these letters and view these churches, number one, prophetically. Meaning that they view these churches that they seem to represent different stages of the church over the last 2,000 years. Now, I am one of those that would look at this, and I had someone, you know, I had someone ask me, so does that mean you're a dispensationalist? First off, I'm not a hyper-dispensationalist. And if you're here and you're like, what is a dispensationalist, and you don't know what it is, just praise God you don't know what it is, and don't worry about it tonight. And if you know what it is, you're just getting yourself in trouble. So I, the thing is, I wouldn't call myself a dispensationalist because I think they view the Old Testament wrong. But I do believe you can look at these churches and you could see through time how this kind of applies to different churches. And they would say that the church at Ephesus and dispensationalists would say that that time period would be from the day of Pentecost till about 100 AD. And that was a great time of expansion in the early church. But it also was the time where some began to lose their zeal and their fervency for the Lord. And so we also look here, not only do some view it prophetically, but number two, some view it practically. And these letters were sent to literal, real congregations that were actually functioning at the close of the first century. And this is true. This is an actual church that this was written to. A group of people just like you and I this evening. As we're here at Victory Baptist Church, it was literally a letter written to the church at Ephesus. Now some people said, was it a Baptist church? It wasn't quite named a Baptist church yet, okay? That came a little bit later. And, uh, but um, that was the truth there. And we look at this, that we can look at this passage and see practically God is speaking to us through his word, right? Now, we all know that throughout the Bible that a lot of passages were not written directly to us, right? They were written to Moses, written to the children of Israel, written to the book of Matthew, written to the Jews, right? So does that mean there's nothing for us to get out of? No. There's plenty for us to get from the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's all there to help us. So as we look here tonight, as we look at the church at Ephesus, yes, I believe that prophetically you could look at it. I also think you look at it practically. And there are things that God wants us to hear tonight to help us be a better church. And then thirdly, the third view that there is, is we can view it personally. And as we look, these letters speak to congregations. But also, and this is the thing, I've mentioned this before, I really think God puts certain people as pastors because he feels like they need more work than anyone else does. Because you get to come hear a message for 30 or 40 minutes, I got to go weeks about being convicted about stuff that's in these passages. And so, and as we look at this tonight, we can look at it as a whole, as a church, but also it would do us good to look personally. What is God trying to tell me? And in all reality, every message you hear, every time the word of God is preached, you should look personally what you can get from it. If you show up at church and say, hey, I'm good, I don't need nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. The Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs that a full soul, it loatheth in honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Man, we need to come to God's house, and when we hear the preaching of God's word, we need to come hungry. So when we leave filled. When you go to your Bible reading, and hopefully you read your Bible, right? Do you read your Bible? I hope you do. I hope you go there empty so the Lord can fill you up. And it's what we need. As we look here tonight and as we look at the church at Ephesus, there's actually a picture of some of the remains of the city and things and the church there and things like that. It looks pretty cool there and stuff like that. 
And uh, the city of Ephesus, it was an important city. It was located along the Castor River and right by the Aegean Sea. It had magnificent harbors. Um, ships came to Ephesus. And Ephesus was known for its goods and for its wealth. It was a free city, which meant that Rome kind of left them alone. They didn't have Roman soldiers there in the city. Like, you think of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not a free city. Because you notice you had Pilate there, you had all the Roman soldiers. Ephesus was a free city. They didn't have all that going on and all the Roman soldiers there and things like that. And also, you got to understand, it was a wicked city. Man, they had a temple to, the, to Diana there. And uh, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. And literally... Diana's, Diana was the goddess of sex and fertility. It's literally what she was. And people would come and do things with prostitutes and do crazy things in front of the temple to honor their god. The statue of Diana was a, of a lady with multiple chests. We'll put it that way. We've got a lot of kids in the room. And just that was it. It was a godless society that did not want anything to do with God. And yet we see in the midst of this, we see a church that stood for what was right. And may I just remind you tonight, I don't care how bad the world gets around us, God still wants his church to do what's right. And God doesn't want his church to be like the world. He wants it to be different. There's a lot that I could say there that I'm not going to get into tonight. But we look at Ephesus, it was a, it was a bad place wickedness everywhere. And yet, this church was there preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at the church at Ephesus and how it began, we can go back to the Apostle Paul and some of his missionary journeys. He went there. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter number 18, verse 19 through 21, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews when they desiring him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. That's the first time he went there. Chapter 19, if you've got time, you could read through chapter 19 of Acts, as well as chapter number 20. And in chapter number 20, we see the fact that Paul preached in this church for two years and helped establish this church. He also left Timothy there. Timothy was probably the first, one of the first pastors there. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 1, verse number 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, thou, thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So Timothy was the first pastor there. Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos all labored at the church in Ephesus. Um, John was in the church at Ephesus for a while. And John, um, during that time that he was there, they tell us that he wrote the Gospel of John, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John while he was in Ephesus. And it's also said from tradition that Jesus' mother, Mary, died in Ephesus because she was with John, took care of her till her death. So Ephesus was a good church, good things going on. And you'll notice that as we get into the first, you know, as we go through these churches, you're going to see some churches, there's some things here that are like, wow, this church is pretty bad. Or you look here and you're like, this church is pretty good. There's a lot of good going on. But as we look here tonight, I want us to see 
what the Lord says. And I love the fact that, and I tell the Lord often, Lord, you know this church better than I ever could. And you need to, you need to show us what we need to do. If there's sin going on that needs to be dealt with, bring it to the open. Bring it to the light. Show us what is right and help our, what we want at the end of the day. And as the pastor of Victory Baptist Church and as members of Victory Baptist Church, we should have one desire. That when the Lord looks on this place, he is pleased with what's going on. That he is honored and he's glorified. That's what we want. So as we look here tonight, let's look at the church at Ephesus and see what Jesus had to say. Number one, as we get into our outline, Roman numeral one, we see what's right with the church. And I, I love this. Do you see how the Lord does this? The Lord, first of all, he commends them for what's right, and then he tells them what they need to fix. A great lesson maybe for child-rearing, maybe an employee of yours or that, you, that works under you and things. I like how this is an example that's set up in Scripture. Paul does the same thing. We see the fact that they compliment and say, hey, this is some good things you're doing. But here's some other things that we need to work on and fix. You see how they start with a compliment, then they bring that in? And you're thinking, oh, great. So when pastor starts complimenting me on something, something, no, that's not what I'm trying to tell you tonight. But as we look, we see what's right with this church. So look there at verse number 2 and 3. It says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them that are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. As we look here, Jesus comes to them and says, hey, there's some things that's right with this church. First of all, letter A, we see he commends their service. He commends their service. Jesus uses three words here in verse number two to talk about the service that this church did. The first one we see, number one, is their works. This word speaks of that which is accomplished. It refers to the fact that this church at Ephesus, they were accomplishing much for the glory of God. They had been working, and Jesus saw their work. That's what reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When you serve God, when you're, doing, when you're working for God, it's not in vain. You're cleaning the toilet, picking up trash outside, whatever you do for the Lord, he sees it. And it says here that the Lord, he commends them for their service. He sees their work. Number two, he sees their labor. This word literally means a beating. It speaks of intense work coupled with toil and trouble. It meant that this church served God with everything that they had. They were working their fingers to the bones. In other words, they were not a, just a Sunday morning crowd. They were busy teaching classes. They were bu busy visiting people. They were busy witnessing. They were busy doing God's work. This church, God, Jesus commends them for their service. We see the word works, we see labor, and then we see the word patience. Their steadfast endurance. It tells us that this church was working in spite of opposition. The people in Ephesus did not appreciate God's people, nor does anyone ever, or their zeal for the Lord. But they endured through the persecution, through the opposition, and they serve God no matter what. So as we look here tonight, we see first of all that Jesus, he commends them for their service, their work, their labor, their patience. 
This church was a church that if you looked at their monthly calendar, they were busy doing the things of God. They were busy serving people. They were doing the things of God. And may I just say, that's what church is supposed to be. God didn't call us to a country club. He didn't. And sometimes we get a little carried away with our potlucks and things like that. We've been called to get the gospel to the lost. We've been called to make disciples. We've been called to do the work of God. And when a church loses that work and loses their desire to serve God, it's not a good thing. This church, they did that. This church was commended for that. They served God. They worked for Him. And what a blessing that is. Not only does He commend them for their service, but letter B, we see that He commends their stand for right. The rest of verse number 2 says that thou canst not bear them that are evil. What, what we see here is we see that God's people in this church, they lived a separate life. There was a difference between them and the world and those that lived there in Ephesus. And the Lord says, hey, I'm grateful and I look at what I see your service, but I also see that you stand for what's right. You see, in their world, in their time, in that day and age, in Ephesus, literally, immorality and evil define that city. And we see that they couldn't stand those things that are evil. And may I just remind you, it still should be that way today. We need to not, we need to not be able to stand evil things. Now, be very careful. I'm not telling you to hate people. I'm telling you to hate sin. Right? Is that, that's the truth. Look at what sin is doing in our world today. Look at how bad it's getting. And there's a lot of people that, and just be grateful that the Lord saved you. Be grateful that you know better. Do you realize tonight that this world without Jesus Christ, they are blinded to the truth? So we might see the news or see social media and we see something like, how could you be so blind? How could you be so dumb and do that? I, don't know, I just saw something on Twitter just a couple hours ago, and I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You want to know what I'm talking about? I'll tell you afterwards. I'm not going to mention it right here. But I saw this, and I'm like, how dumb can this guy thinking he's a woman be? And it's amazing to me. But they don't get it. We get it because we're saved. The light's been turned on. We know what is right. They don't. Be grateful that you know what's right. Be grateful for the word of God and what it's done in your life and in your heart. They took a stand for what's right. And may I just remind you tonight, God wants his children to stand for what's right. I love, and you got there in your notes, you got Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 8. The Bible says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. I mentioned this, um, being a chaplain for the PD, I just taught them this passage in our Bible study at the PD this last month. But I love that first verse, be therefore followers of God's dear children. I mentioned a few weeks ago I took my kids and we were, uh, my in-laws were out and we went to the beach over at Dana Point. And my in-laws, they're approaching their 70s, so they don't want to go on long walks and be relaxed. They were fine watching the waves. And Caroline likes to watch the waves at the water too. But keeping a six-year-old sitting and watching the waves is that would take a miracle of God. Maybe throw them in the water. I don't know. You could do that. So I took them on a little walk. And so as we're going, I had William at the back, 
and then I had told the others, just follow me. Where And down at Dana Point, there's a lot of rocks when you go down. And I said, just follow me and walk where I walk. If you follow my steps, you will be fine. A few minutes later, I hear a thumping. <laughs> Which one of you was it? Could you raise your hand? That was David. David didn't follow my footsteps. Do you know what David did? He went a different way. And he fell and hit his legs on the rocks, and he cried a little bit. And did Dad have compassion? No. I said, if you would just follow where I walked, you wouldn't fall. Get in line and do what you're supposed to do. But I love this verse because literally, if we, I love, do you see how it says we're supposed to be followers of God as dear children? It says, walk in love as Christ loved us. Literally, you go through Ephesians 5 and 6. We're, talk about when it gets to marriage and later on in Ephesians 5. Hey, um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you see that he set the ultimate example for all of us in all those things? And literally what we need to do, we just need to follow the example that Jesus set. We don't need to follow the example this world sets for us. We need to follow God. It doesn't say the world says follow the Lord. We need to follow him tonight. And do what he's called us to do. And as we look at this tonight, as we go further, we see he commends them for their service. He commends them for, as we just saw, their stand for what's right. And he also commends them for their doctrine. He commends them for their doctrine. The end of verse 2 tells us, it says, um, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Verse 6 talks about the, how thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And as we look here, these people are praised because they have the right doctrine. May I just remind you, doctrine matters. That's why we went through over a year and a half, wasn't it a year and a half almost, of Bible doctrines, basic Bible doctrines, because doctrine matters tonight. And you've got to understand, when people pass through their city and claim to be followers of God, they put them to the test. Does this book and what it says follow what these people say? Most people don't do that today. You hear a nice little message on a line, and you're like, oh, that person's so good, great, and wonderful. And they don't follow the Word of God at all. You better be very careful with that. It's interesting, no one really knows who the Nicolaitan people were. I told you I've gone through a lot of commentaries and things like that. There's some possibilities. The word Nicolaitan, it comes from the word to conquer the people. So maybe they were um, church people that were trying to have dominion in the church. Um, they could have been others that were trying to get people to follow. In other words, the Lord didn't like what they did. We do know that. And so I love the fact, though, that as we look here, we see the fact, he says in verse number 6, it says their deeds. And then as we, and then look at verse number 15. We aren't in verse 15, but look at verse 15. It says, so hast thou also them which hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. So you see, that's a different church now. Do you see how the deeds, and when we talk about deeds, later on we see the fact that there's another church that follows their doctrine. Your doctrine matters. What you follow matters. We learn doctrine, and doctrine controls our deeds. That's the way it works. That's why doctrine is so important, why doctrine matters today. And this church, they did what was right when it came to doctrine. Now, 
when we look at this tonight, we look at this church and we see that the Lord, he commends them. We look at this church, to me it looks like a typical Baptist church. To me. The fact that they're busy serving God, they're busy soul winning, they're busy doing the work of God. We see that they take a stand for what's right. In a world where not many churches take a stand for what's right, this church takes a stand for what's right. Jesus commends them on their doctrine, and he also commends them, letter D, on their faithfulness. On their faithfulness. This is a church that's carrying the load. Much affliction, much opposition, and yet they're laboring and doing what they're supposed to do. And we look at this tonight, we're like, wow, this is a good church. I think any of us in this room tonight would be happy to be part of a church like this one. And what we read here. We, it's good to go to a church that's actively doing God's work. It's good to go to a church that stands for what's right. In a day and age where most churches cave to the pressure of the world, you need to be in a church that stands for what's right. Not only do you need to be in a church that stands for what's right, you need to be in a church that ma- doctrine matters. You need to be a church that's steadfast and faithful to God. We'd all look at that. We'd want to be a part of a church like that. But this is where we get in trouble, just like they did. We see number two tonight, we see that Jesus, he tells them what's wrong with their church. And on the outside, this church looked like a great church. But there were some problems in this church. And may I remind you of something? Do you realize there's always problem in churches? Do you realize that? Some people think they're going to go find the perfect church. And let me just tell you, if you are a part of a church, or if I am, it's never going to be perfect. There's no perfect people. Someday when we get to heaven and we're in that called out assembly, that church, it will be a perfect church with a perfect leader and perfect congregants and everything will be great. But till then, you're never going to find a perfect church. And sometimes people look and they'll look at other churches and they'll be like, oh, that church is so much better than the church I go to. You know what the problem is? The grass always does look greener on the other side. But if you want your grass to be green, go out and water it. That's what you need to do. What's wrong with this church? Let's look at a few things tonight. We look and we see, as we look at this church, and uh, wow, my notes, uh, there's only one thing there. There's no other points underneath this one. I don't know if that got skipped or what happened there. Look with me at verse number four. It says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place except thou repent. Now, and you look at this, you look at this church, you see the fact that this church had a heart problem. That's where it always begins. You realize that, right? And what's going to happen is, and I'm not going to go totally into this, but this church, if it continued down this road, what their heart problem was was eventually going to come out. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So this church for this time, they were following doing God's work. But when their heart isn't right, it's eventually going to start showing through in their actions. That's why we as Christians, I hear, I hear, especially in our Baptist churches, I hear a lot of it. 
and I hear, you got to do this and do that. You need to look the part. I want you to live the part. And if you live the part, it's going to come through in your actions. You can get someone to part their hair just right, carry a King James Bible in their hand, and they can be living like the devil all week long. They need to tra- there needs to be a transformation take place in the heart, and that transformation will lead out. We have a lot of Christians in our Baptist churches that are just being um, conformed to an image that their church wants them to be and not being transformed from the power of God. It's amazing what God can do if you let him do the work. So as we look at this and we look at what's wrong, we see the fact that this church, as we look here, they have forgotten their first love. You know, sometimes we get busy in ministry and we forget what it's truly about. Do you realize the Lord's our first love? We love him tonight because he first loved us. That's why we love him tonight. I had someone the other day, we were talking at youth group on last Sunday, and this question was brought up, why do I do, why do I go, why do I, why do I live, why, why do I live for God? And this was the answer they gave me. I said, I do it out of fear for God. Like, there's something wrong with that. And her, her explanation was, she said, I, f- I've been, I feel like I've been taught and I've had this idea that if I don't do these certain things to please God, then God's not going to be happy with me. And so I do these things out of fear for God. If that's your attitude tonight, you are so wrong. God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. You know why I'm in church tonight and why I love the Lord? Because he loved me. You know why I went today, or yesterday, we went to the rescue mission? And why I'm going to be doing something else with the rescue mission on Saturday? Why I went and visited a lady that came to visit her that she can't even hear me when I go visit her, but I went into anyways today? She called me seven times today. And she couldn't hear me any of the times I answered the phone. What, what, what? Are you coming? Are you coming? And then as soon as I get there for the visit, there's not enough ketchup on my cheeseburger you brought me. Oh, there's not enough ketchup. I, put, I haven't put extra on there. And, uh, and then the next question, when are you coming back? Why don't you enjoy the time I'm here? But why do I go? Because the Lord, his love for me makes me want to love him and serve him. You know, we look at like tonight, it would have been easy to stay home and stay in bed. I should let Johnny preach tonight. You got enough friends here. That would have been fun. And you could have preached tonight. But why am I here even when I'm not feeling great tonight? Because after all God's done for me, I can get up with a little headache and still go to church. Now, there's no fever or anything, so don't get worried tonight, okay? It's okay. That's where we lose sight of things. And I worry for us as Christians when we live our lives, and we, ever since COVID, this has been a big thing too, we are all about ourselves and what we need and what's best for us. We forget about our first love. We put church on the back burner. We forget about all those things. God loved you, and if your love for him should make it so that you're faithful to him. I, I don't get it. The two Sundays right after Easter, our building's packed. And this last Sunday, the building was empty in both services. Now I get people get sick and I get things go on. But why do we take a break on God? You don't take a break on work. Ooh, that's getting a little personal, isn't it? It's getting a little personal there. Oh, you get paid to go to work. 
I have to go to work. Yep, it shows what's more important to you. It shows where your love really is. And I'm not telling you there are times that you have to go to work on us. I get that. There are times you're sick and not feeling well. I'm not getting after you about that. But when we put everything in life before God, when children's sports programs are more important than God is, you got a problem, a major problem. What is your first love? What matters most? The Lord should. And I'm not telling you you have to do every little thing, but you need to be faithful to God. You should be. But I think the problem is we get our eyes off of what's important because we lose sight of his love for us. After all Jesus has done for me, it's only my reasonable service that I'll be a living sacrifice for him. Right? That's what the Bible says. This church, we see the fact that they left their first love. And as we look at these things, think about it. It happens in marriages, doesn't it? Remember when you first started dating? I can remember my first date with Caroline. Man, I remember how nervous I was. She was, she was, she was, an, she was an older girl, and I didn't know she would go out with a young, a little bit older than me. I didn't think she would go out with a guy like me. I remember I, it was so funny, I went up to her sister to ask her if she thought that Caroline would go on a date with me. And her sister had this look on her face, don't ask me on a date, don't ask me on a date. And she was so relieved I wasn't asking her, and I was asking about her sister. And I remember I paced back and forth till I finally asked her on that date. And I remember getting to know her, and that, and you got to understand something, love started to grow. I remember the time we told each other we loved each other for the first time. You, rem- you remember? And were the flower? she says the flowers were not red. They were a Costco special. <laughs> and that's, you know, the two best places to get flowers for somebody. Are you ready? Costco and Sam's Club or go by the cemetery at the end of the day. Either one. It's a great spot to do it. And so, but she says they weren't quite red. But I, just as we, but today I'll tell you this. I thought, when we got married and said I do, I thought I loved her. We had never lived a day together in the same house. I thought I loved her. Going on 17 years later, I know I love her. And I love her more today than I did then. Because it's a, that's, but this is what happens. You have to purposely love. Because if you don't purposely love and your heart can grow cold. And there are times that you need to remember, and this is what it comes down to with the Lord. We see that this church, they lost their first love. They were busy doing the work, but why were they doing it? I see this in church today. A lot of churches are busy because they want to keep their name good. If you're trying to make a big name for yourself and your church, you got problems. You need to do it for the Lord. And we see that this church, they lost their first love. They had taken a step away from it. Was this a good church? This was a great church. They have a lot of great, yes, they did. But this church was missing something. They loved people. They loved right. They hated sin. This is a good church. But they were losing what mattered most. Their heart wasn't there. They were losing that first love. And I love how the Lord tells us, hey, this is what's right. 
This is what's wrong with this church. Now, this is how to fix the problem. And hey, maybe tonight, and number three, this is where we're going tonight, we see number three, how to fix what's wrong. And maybe tonight, you're kind of like this church at Ephesus. And, there's a, and in your life right now, you might be going through the motions, and you're still teaching that class, or maybe you're still singing in the choir, maybe you're still going soul winning, maybe you're still doing these different things, but there's something missing, and maybe your heart's not in it. Maybe you've lost your first love. I love what the Bible says here. This is how you fix it. Look at verse number five. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. We see, hey, you want to fix this problem? Remember. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember the change. Remember what he did for your life. Last night at the rescue mission in chapel this morning, I preached out of Psalm chapter number 40. And a great passage, Psalm 40, I love that passage because David talks about some things that happened to him and how the Lord helped him where he was. But I also see in that passage how the Lord helped me and how the Lord saved me. You see in that passage it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, established my going, and he put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. And do you remember that day? David said, I'm in a horrible pit, I'm in a horrible spot. He cried out to God for help. You remember where you were before salvation? You were lost and on your way to hell with no way out. And there was the day that you realized the fact, hey, I can't do this on my own. My righteousness, it will never add up. God, I need you and I'm trusting in you. And that verse David says there that he inclined unto me. That word incline means to bend your ear down and listen. God heard David's cry. David, God heard our cry for salvation. And what did God do? He heard us and he did something about it. He took us from the pit of hell, and he grabbed us and put us on a rock. He not only got us to safety, but said, I've got a plan and a purpose for you, and I'm going to guide you. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. He puts a new song in our mouth. That new song that flows from our mouth comes from a new heart, a transformation that takes place. And he changes us completely. You say, Pastor, I've kind of lost my first love. It's just, this thing's growing old to me. Remember where you came from. Hey, do you remember the day you got saved and how excited you were for the things of God? Where's that at tonight? Oh, you've forgotten. And you know what? We are prone to forget. How many times in the Bible do we hear, remember, remember? Bless the Lord, and forget not all his benefits. Because we forget. Something happens in life, and we forget about all the good things God's done. Hey, remember from where you've fallen from. Remember where it all started. Remember where you were before Christ. Say, Pastor, I just, I, I, I've left my first love. Go back to the day you got saved. And what Jesus did in your life. And what he did in your heart. We see, first of all, we need to remember. Secondly, we need to repent and do the first work. The word repent means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It's one thing to say, oh, I've got to do better. 
and then just go on with your day. The prodigal son, he came to himself. He got right. We see we need to repent, but also says to do the first works. We're not on C yet, Joe. Go back to B. You're jumping ahead of me. I know you're trying to get me done quicker, but jumping ahead of me with the notes isn't going to make me move any quicker. And so Joe thinks he can read my mind at times. Joe, just the truth tonight, I can't read my own mind tonight, so I don't know where it's at. We repent and do the first works. What does it mean by do the first works? Start doing what you used to do. Do you know just because you're busy serving God doesn't mean you should stop reading your Bible? It's truth. Do you know, though, if it was easy to read your Bible, everybody would do it? Everybody would do it. Repent, do the first works. How's your prayer life? Oh, pastor, that's what young Christians do. They pray and read their Bible. No, that's what all Christians are supposed to do. The problem is, you know why your heart's not fresh and why you don't have great love for the Lord? You're not spending time in his book. You need to spend time in his word. His word shows us how much he loves us. It's God's love letter to us. When's the last time you prayed? I prayed for lunch today. Okay. When's the last time you had a good talk with God? And I'm not telling you you've got to be the best prayer person in the world. When's the last time you talked to God, carried on a conversation? If you tell someone that you love them and you never spend time with them, do you really love them? Repent, do the first works. Hey, go back to reading your Bible. Go back to praying. Service, just remember this tonight, church. Serving God is no substitute for doing the basics. We always need the word. Always, always, always. You need to pray. You need to do the first works. Say, hey, I've lost my first love. Well, you need to remember what the Lord's done. Repent and do what's right. Or, we see for this church letter C, we see or be removed. And we know throughout history now that the church at Ephesus, maybe they got right for a while, maybe they didn't. There's no longer that church at Ephesus today. That light, we talk about, we've talked about how the church was that candlestick. That light would shine and be let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look at what the Lord says there in that verse, in verse number um, 5, the end of it says, and we'll, Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. How many churches have we seen that used to be great churches for the Lord, and now they're nothing today? My mind always goes, there was uh, Lee Robertson. He was a uh, Baptist preacher in Tennessee. A great church, lots of people saved, a great place. Great big college, all those things. Last year there was a fire that went through and wiped out the buildings, and that church is no longer in existence today. You say, well, why? I'm not, I don't know. It's not my job to figure out why. But we could, go, we could go into England and different places. 
and see all these great churches, big churches that used to preach the gospel and you see nothing there anymore because the candlestick's been removed. You're seeing it in America today. There are more churches closing their doors than opening today. And as that happens, you know what the problem is? I believe the problem is we, you can be a great church, but if you lose your first love, you lose why you do what you do. I think our Baptist churches would do very well to go back to loving the Lord. When all we do is talk about our Baptist heritage and our Baptist forefathers and all that, and you hear more about famous preachers than you do about Jesus Christ, you've got a problem. When Jesus, Jesus should be the one magnified, not anyone else. When we lift up our traditions and what we think is best and all these things, and we remove this book and don't put this book in its rightful place, we're going to get in trouble. And we need to follow this book. We need to follow God and do things right. We see this church was a great church, a church that any of us in this room would want to be a part of. I would want to be a part of this church, but they had problems. They need to get right. Remember where they fell from. Repent and do the first works. Or the Lord says, I'll remove you. Eventually this church got removed. The sad thing is, that's what happens to most churches over time. It's not, it's just why it happens the way it does, I honestly don't know. But so many great people start churches, and these people come together, congregations, and pay off all these buildings and serve God and do great things. And then down the line, it's completely all lost. So I think everyone loses sight of what's really important, what the Lord has for us. Then we see lastly tonight, we see the reward. What's the reward? Look at verse 7. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of heaven. What's the reward? It's heaven, right? It's heaven. And thank God for heaven. And you know how in the Garden of Eden you couldn't eat of the tree of life. That's why God kicked Adam and Eve out, right? Because he didn't want them to eat of the tree of life. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they were of the tree of life in their sinful state, I don't think things could be fixed. So God in his mercy and grace didn't let them be near that tree. But someday we'll get to see Jesus and it will be worth it all when we see Jesus and the reward we get to be with him forever. The one that we first loved. The one we need to get back to loving. We get to spend an eternity with him. How wonderful that's going to be. Father, I thank you for the truths that are found in this passage.